Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We've been digging into the life of David and we're continuing on that series actually this morning. And But the story I want to share today is is a story that you might not be familiar with. And it is a story of David, but it's also a story about this man named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, it's not just a story about Mephibosheth, it's also a story about me. It's also a story about you. So it's my story, it's your story, and it's also David's story. And the story starts off in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Now Mephibosheth was the, the son of King David's best friend. When David was a young man, his best friend was named Jonathan. And he was in, in those days, they would have what's called covenants, kind of like we'd have a marriage today. But in those days, you would do it between like brothers or some, someone that maybe wasn't your brother. But you'd say, they're, they're my brother, like someone I'd be really close to. And then when you would enter into these covenant relationships, basically you were saying is that if something ever happens to you, I'll take care of all your family, I'll take care of all your needs. And it was, it was a covenant. It was a relationship saying, I'm going to take care of you if something, or your family, all your things, if something happens to you, and you're going to do the same for me. And so David had this relationship with this guy named Jonathan, and they were best friends. And Jonathan really empowered David in the, in the way that he had pursued his life. But Jonathan was a prince. His, his dad was King Saul, who hated David. And, and the crazy thing about Saul is Saul was so loyal to David, but he was also loyal to his father. It's a crazy story because Jonathan had a lot to gain by also hating David. Because if he could kill David, Jonathan would get the throne. But instead, because they had this good relationship, because they had this bond, he stayed loyal to David. So Jonathan has a son, and his son is named Mephibosheth. So 2 Samuel chapter 4, this is where Mephibosheth's story starts, at least that we know from Scripture. So Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled, but as she hurried away, she dropped him And he became crippled. So picture this. You're five years old. You're at home in a palace. Everything's provided for you. You're well taken care of. And you you hear the news. You hear someone telling the lady that's taking care of you that your grandfather, whom you love, has been killed in battle. And your dad has been killed in battle. Now, we have no report of his mom. We just know that there is this woman that was watching him. A nurse, a child provider was there. So she hears the news and knowing that the kingdom was being stripped now from the house of Saul, she takes the baby, the five-year-old boy. If you have a five-year-old, you know that they could probably run on their own, but you could probably run faster holding them. So she picks him up and runs to go into hiding because they, they want to save this child. And as she's running, she drops him And it messes him up, physically handicaps him for the rest of his life. So we know about his condition. Not only is he physically impaired, he's also uh, mentally 
handicap because you got to understand at five, five years old, I mean, you, you kind of have a capacity to understand those type of things. It's not like he was three. He's five years old. His dad's dead. His grandfather's dead. Who's going to take care of him? He hears the news. He's heartbroken and physically he's broken. So they sent him away to a city where it's kind of a, a refugee city. It was, a, it was a, a, a place where poor people lived. It was kind of a ghetto of the day. And the town was called uh, Lodeba. Now notice that it's Lodeba, not Hideba. It's Lodeba. I mean, it's, even in its name, it's bad. It's, it's, it's kind of the pit of the earth. It's where people like Mephibosheth go. It's where the broken go. It's where the lame go. It's where, it's where the blind go. People that had no place in society. So you got to understand, this was a kid that had everything stacked against him. Everything. And he grows up in this city. Now, you got to understand, in those days, they didn't have, you know, wheelchair ramps. They didn't have, you know, restrooms that were set up for the handicapped. Society was not set up to deal with handicapped people. They didn't have computer programming jobs and data entry jobs where you could go and you could work from your wheelchair or work from home. So many times what ended up happening for someone who was crippled is they ended up on the streets begging for bread. They were treated like dogs. They were the bottom rung of society. So this is where Mephibosheth finds himself. And King David, through the years, takes his throne in Jerusalem. We've been talking about that in our series. And Mephibosheth is grown up at this time, actually has a child of his own. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David asked, is there anyone left in the house of Saul whom I should, who I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So he says, I have this covenant with Jonathan. I want to fulfill this covenant. I want to show kindness to somebody that's related to Jonathan. And it says this, now there was a servant of Saul's house named Ziba. Everybody say Ziba. Ziba. And they called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? Now understand this was one of Saul's old servants now serving possibly in the house of David. And he replied, Yes, that's me. And then the king asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? Is there anyone? He said, if so, I want to show God's kindness to him. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's son is alive. He's crippled in both feet. Notice he didn't even say his name first. He just states his condition. How jacked up is that? He's like, yeah, there's, you know, he's, he's got one kid. He's alive, but you wouldn't be interested in him. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Lodabar, Ziba told him, the, the home of Michar and Mael. And so David sent for him and brought him from Michar's house. And his name was Mephibosheth, and he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. And David says this, do not be afraid. And you've got to understand the house of David and the house of Saul were at opposition. Right. He was probably thinking, the king brought me here to kill me. Right. I would be better in the ghetto, begging. So he shows up and he's like, I'm here to serve you. I'm just, just here as a servant. I won't pose any threats. I'm crippled. I can't do anything. Never been able to do anything my whole life. I'm not just broken physically. I'm broken emotionally. I've been hiding out. Yeah. I'm your servant. And David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. 
I will give you all the property. <laughs> what? I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show, show such kindness to a dead dog like me? You know, I love this story so much because I am Mephibosheth. I am broken physically in my heart. Maybe not physically like I can't walk, but, but in my approach to God, I can't get there. I'm broken. Just like Mephibosheth. See, I am Mephibosheth and you are Mephibosheth. You are crippled. You are broken. But you are invited. See, the thing is, is, is there is an invitation for us all. We are just like Mephibosheth. We might be in a jacked up state, but there is an invitation. The great thing about this story is it's, a, it's more of a story about a good king than a fortunate man. Because see, David made a lot of mistakes. Let's just be real. But one of the things that David did is he continually pursued God. He continually had this stream in his life where he was pursuing God, pursuing God's presence, being in God's presence. He wasn't perfect, but he was chasing God. How many of you are there? I'm not perfect, but I'm after God's heart. And so David actually starts to emulate the heart of his king, God. See, whatever you pursue, you will emulate. You will always emulate what you pursue. Whatever you chase after, that will become part of your identity. So we see this extension from David, this invitation because of David's goodness. Now, David wasn't all good, but he had goodness in him because he was pursuing the good one. See, Christ is good. Jesus is good. He is a good king, and he is pursuing humanity. There is an invitation. He's saying, the invitation is come. All who are weary, all who are broken, all who are left out, all who are jacked up, would you just come? If my invitation is open, will you come to my table? Will you come into my kingdom? But the problem is, is just like Mephibosheth, we are broken. We're crippled. And we do not have the ability to carry ourselves to the king's table. See, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. See, there was a fall that happened. And because of that fall, you are incapable of responding to this invitation. God's goodness is great. He offers the, the, the invitation, but if you can't get there, it does you no good. And your sins, Isaiah tells us this, that our sins have separated us from God. See, we have a condition. We have a sin condition that has kept us at bay with God. We cannot respond to the invitation because of our, our self, because of our choices, because of our lives. And it actually, Scripture says it this way, that it sets us in opposition towards God. Did you know that your sins have opposed you with God? You say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. But are you as good as God is? Do you meet the standard? 
the standard is high, but there's still an invitation. We have this condition. I want to ask you today, if you were to stand before God, if God showed up at your house today, you hang around, you do an Easter egg hunt, you go have lunch with family, you go home, you walk into your bedroom and God is sitting in your bedroom. And he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Or if you die and you stand before God and he says, why should I let you in to my heaven? What would you say? What would your answer be? Why should I let you, a crippled man, respond to my invitation? What would your answer be? Would it be, I've been a good person. I've tried my best. I've helped people in need. Listen, gang, all those things fall short of God's standard. Because God's standard is perfection. And none of us are perfect. All of us are crippled. All of us are jacked up. All of us are incapable of responding to this invitation that God has put out. However, there is a solution. There is a solution for our crippledness. Romans 6.23 says this, says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But, come on, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we get a gift. A gift. We are broken. We are Mephibosheth. We are broken. We are in the ghetto. We are in the hood. In our jacked up condition. There is an invitation and there is a way to respond to it. Years ago... uh, we were moving from El Paso to go uh, take a youth pastor position in Amarillo. This is 2010. And we had had inherited, someone had given us a piano, like a a wall piano. If you've ever moved a piano, uh, Noah, we've moved a piano before. It's not very fun. It's a lot of work. And uh, I did not want to move the piano to Amarillo. We didn't think we were going to have room for it. We were getting rid of a lot of our things. And I said, um, let's, let's sell it. I don't remember if we sold it or we gave it away, but we got on Craigslist and we got rid of it. Did we sell it or we give it away? We sold it. Sweet. Made a little <laughs> bit of money off of it. It was given to us. And we, we yeah, we did need that money. So we sold the piano. And a guy shows up and rings the doorbell. And he's, you know, a young guy, you know, kind of fit, you know, kind of like me. And, uh, <laughs> but younger and stronger, better looking. Not like me at all. No, it wasn't better looking. So this guy, showed, I don't remember what he looks like. So he shows up with his truck. And so I'm like, okay, I'll come, okay, let me help you. Let me help you. So I'm, you know, I mean, it's a piano. Pianos are very heavy. And so we're moving it, you know, like it had, it had wheels on the bottom, but one of them was broken. So it's, you were kind of like dragging it and lifting it at the same time. The story, yeah, the struggle's real. And so we're moving it out and we get it out to his truck. Now, I didn't know how we were going to put it on his truck. You know, it's, again, it's very heavy. There's only two of us. I don't know how we could lift this piano. I mean, it had to weigh like 600 pounds. I, I don't know how much it weighed, but it was, it was heavy and it's awkward. 
And so I, I stand on one end, and he's on the other end, and he goes, never mind, I got it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And this guy just reaches across this piano, and he wasn't really, I don't remember how big he was, but he wasn't huge. And he grabs this piano, and he just picks it up, and he puts it in the bed of the truck. And I'm like, Right? I'm like, well, God bless you. You know, I hope I never see you again. But I was thinking, you know what? This man came and did something that I was incapable of doing. I was not capable of lifting that piano. I wasn't even really capable. Noah will tell you this because we moved a piano about, I don't know, six, eight months ago. I was incapable of even moving half the piano. I was incapable. But because a man showed up, because a man that was stronger than me, who could do more than I could do, that could handle more than I could handle, picked up that piano and threw it in the back of the truck. And I'm telling you, 2,000 years ago, a man came and he handled what you could never handle. He paid a price that you could never pay. He, paid, he, he died a death that you could never die. And he was full of love and he was full of compassion, but he was full of strength. And we know that he took our sins, our inabilities to approach God, and he nailed them on the cross that day. And at that day, he took all your jacked upness. He took all your poverty. He took all your shame. He took all your inability to approach God. All of your mistakes, all of the foolishness. And he lifted it. Amen. And he put it on a cross. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. When I was 18 years old, doing my own thing, playing my religious church game. For two years, I did the game. I played the game. I was unfit to sit at the king's table. And I came to the one that could get me there. And I said, Lord, I'm incapable. I can no longer do this. I can't do it. I can't get there. And he said, it's okay. I'll get there for you. God demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners, while we were unfit, while we were crippled. Christ died for us. It's the greatest demonstration of love. See, the universal symbol of love might be a heart shape. Not for the follower of Christ. The universal symbol of love is the cross. Jesus paid it all. He dealt with the sin that kept us from being unfit to sit at his table. You got to understand in those days, a crippled man had no right to even enter a palace Sometimes even a city, much less be invited to sit at the table of a king. But I could tell you today that if all Jesus did was died, I could offer you no hope today. If all he did was died, I could offer you no hope today. But because he defeated death, you can live with hope forever. Because Jesus not only took your sin, 
He robbed death of its sting. So even in death, you will not be separated from God. Because Jesus is alive, you can eat at his table forever. And you can start today. You can start feasting from the king's table today. Because there's an invitation. We recognize the problem, but there's a solution. God made a way. There used to be a song that we used to sing. God has made a way where there seems to be no way. We talk about that through the difficulties of our life, but I'm telling you, there was no way for a crippled man like me to sit at a king's table like that. So how do we respond? Well, first of all, you say yes to the invitation. There's an invitation. God says, come. Come you who are weary. Come you who are broken. Come you who are lame. You who are sinful. Come in the condition that you're in. Notice that David didn't say, hey, let's find a prophet. Go get him healed up so he can come in and eat at my table. No. I've met people before in my life. They'd be like, man, you need to get right with God. You need to connect with God. And they would say, I'm just not ready yet. It doesn't work that way. You don't come to God because you you have something to bring. Because you have nothing to bring him. Your righteousness, scripture says, your works, your good deeds are like filthy rags. They're just no good. Not because God can't appreciate your effort, but because the standard is so high, you can't meet it. So Jesus met the standard for you. In the condition you're in, you just say yes. You know, sometimes we don't know what we're getting into when we say yes to God. Right. We don't. But that's where we just say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. See, I can tell you today, you can respond to this invitation. That doesn't mean that everything's going to become a bed of roses. I'm not here to tell you that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And when you leave this place, everything's just going to be, you're going to have uh, unicorns and rainbows outside the doors. That might not be the case. But you trust him. You trust him. See, when we trust Jesus, it's like we come over and we take a seat at the table. See, just like right now you're sitting down, you don't have to think about it. You just trust it. I think come and check out this chair and just make sure it's all right. I just responded to the invitation and I took a seat at the table. And this is what the Lord is <clears throat> asking of you today. That you would respond to the invitation and that you would take a seat. What do you mean by take a seat? I mean that you trust Jesus, that you trust him with your life. I'm not talking about easy beliefism today. I'm not talking about magic potion prayers, magic formulas. Talking about trust, simple trust, but trust nonetheless. I love this verse, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 12. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly 
at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. See, this invitation from the Lord today is not just salvation from your soul. It's an inheritance. Remember that? David said, I'll give you everything that belonged to your father that I've been in possession of since they've been dead. I'm going to give it all back to you. All that's been lost. It's an inheritance, but it's also an identity. It's an identity to say, God, I'm your child. I'm your son. I'm allowed to sit at the table. I now have the rights to sit at the table because now I'm royalty. I get an inheritance and I get an identity. Mephibosheth's name in Hebrew means dispeller of shame. Dispeller of shame. You know, it took him a long time to identify with the meaning of his name. And I love how the servant comes in and calls him a crippled man. But David says, dispeller of shame. See, when he sat at that table that day, his lameness was covered. You couldn't see his lameness anymore because he's sitting at the table. And see, that's what God does. He covers our shame. He transforms our identity from being a beggar being a son.